From the Cervera Newsroom in sunny Miami, welcome to the Miami Real Estate Podcast, your home for expert insight on all things Miami real estate. I'm your host, Omar DeWint. Let's get started. In the minds of most, Miami means beach scenes, neon-lit deco hotels, and thumping nightclubs in the core of South Beach. And for good reason. It was the most vibrant scene in town for decades. That has all changed, however. These days, some of the best finds in the city lie in pockets outside the normal tourist haunts. Here, joining us in the studio to break down the Magic City's most dynamic areas and how to enjoy them, my friend and editor-in-chief of American Way Magazine, Bill Kearney. Bill, thanks for coming. Hey, thanks for having me, man. So uh, we've got some fun stuff in line for today. We're really going to break down Miami like a local, as, as we like to say. But before we get to it, Bill, why don't you, by way of introduction, uh, give our audience uh, a little bit of background on yourself and, and how you got to Miami. Okay, so um, born, born in Chicago, raised in Pennsylvania, spent a good stint of time in New York City after college as a TV producer and writer, um, got a l- kind of beat up by New York a little bit. I needed a little. I needed some horizons and some fishing and some physical beauty. So I ended up in Miami, and the work that I was more attracted to here was was more print and magazine work and and continuing the writing stuff. So, long story short, I jumped around from editing Thrillist, which was one of the early um, kind of email magazines for men. That was when we first met. That's how we first met. You were at uh, Terra, uh, Terra Inc, Inc. Yep. and you guys helped me out quite a bit. That was a, that was like a daily kind of bang it out, put the stories out, find you know get get scoops. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a fun gig, but it really gave me a very connected sense to the community, really, because I was I was meeting with with chefs and restaurateurs and boutique owners on a daily basis and Not just turning that story game. around, you know, very quickly. So I got to meet a lot of people through that job. Um, and from there, I ended up at Ocean Drive Magazine as a deputy editor, um, spent four years there, did some, which again is very um, obviously about Miami. Mm-hmm. So that made some nice connections there with people like David Grutman and the nightlife scene and really writing about the... Um, the people who make things happen in Miami. Sure. Um, and getting a pretty good sense of the real estate scene there as well, just because developers here are so important in terms right. of even just neighborhoods changing and, and kind of them bringing a vision to how a place can work. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I work as the editor-in-chief of American Way magazine, and I also oversee Nexos, which is the Spanish and sure. Portuguese language magazine for the airline and Celebrated Living, which is the uh, premium cabin magazine. Right. So American Ways is 12 issues a year, okay. and the other two magazines are six six issues a, year, issues a year. They kind of alternate month by month. So in terms of the, the daily balance, it's a little bit easier workload than the thriller days, right? <laughs> I don't know if it's easier. It's just more about the future. Sure. Like, just p- more planning. Um, but it is less less of a... A little less of a grind, I would say. Right. Yeah. Well, that's good. Yeah. That's yeah, good. Yeah. It's been an amazing journey, and, and I personally have enjoyed, you know, working with you um, throughout that process. But so let's talk about. We we have a saying here in Miami. If if you haven't been to Miami in the last five years, you haven't been to Miami. 
Uh, as somebody who arrived here as a transplant and has witnessed this evolution, what would you, in your opinion, what is the most significant shift or uh, process that took place in the last five years? Uh, well, let me start, I'm gonna go back a little bit. <clears throat> I mean, I arrived in 2002, and at that time, you know, South Beach was the real epicenter of pretty much everything. Mm -hmm. um, and the last five years are indicative of the last 15, but I would just say there's an acceleration of um, areas outside the beach becoming much more interesting, much more dynamic, and creating a stage, if you will, for businesses mm -hmm. um, and for developments, for restaurants. So now instead of just having one kind of central stage, you've got, um, and you know, we, you know, you might say there's five, five areas, or you know, it doesn't really matter what number you put on it. There's just a lot more um, landscape mm -hmm. where businesses can thrive. And then the flip side of that is where different audiences can be served. Right. As a local, I feel like there's so much more for me to do now than there was five, 10 years ago. I agree. I feel like, you know, my, my wife and I, well, you know, Christina, we rarely go to the beach. Mm -hmm. I mean, if, if we can avoid it, we, we do because there's so much to do here in Brickell and right. Wynwood Design District, et cetera. Sure, sure. I mean, and so this is, this is something we wrote about in the magazine uh, recently. We decided to kind of break Miami down into five different neighborhoods, digestible neighborhoods, Geared toward, I mean, the story is geared toward a traveler. Sure. Um, to so travel to kind of help you kind of mentally navigate this, you know, pretty vast area and how to break it down. Like maybe you want to spend a day on the Upper East Side and attach that to a little foray into the design district or mm -hmm. Wynwood. Or maybe you want to head south and hit Coral Gables, Coconut Grove, and Key Biscayne. So we, we just tried to make this story break down into these digestible navigable So walk sections. me through those uh, sections a little bit from, from the story. I know uh, we started with Wynwood and the, the design district area. What What is happening there? So, um, you know, Wynwood has, t to me, the real, one of the real elements of Wynwood that is quickly evolving is the residential um, aspect of it because you, you know, that initially, the area quickly became valuable retail-wise, mm -hmm. and there's a ton of foot traffic now. But the, the, um, the retail development has lagged behind in part because of zoning, but a lot of that has been cleared up. There, there's been, um, zoning has allowed for more units per acre, which mm -hmm. allows for more affordable units, which then allows for different, different demographics to move in and really kind of keep the area alive. So I think I mean, when was it work in progress? Yeah. You know, I think it blew up really fast. It did. I remember, so going back to 2010 when you were here, so we, I was at Terra Inc. And one of my first clients was uh, Cafeina, mm -hmm. the, the Wynwood Lounge. And they're actually still there today. Uh, shout out to Yvette if, if you're listening. But I remember when at the time it was like trying to get media to go to Wynwood. It was, they were like, where were you sending me? Like, we had to basically get taxis because this was before Uber to oh, send right. to get journalists and editors over there because they would get lost. But now, Wynwood is like the international hotspot in Miami. Yeah, I mean, I go there. I go there to shop. I go there to eat. Like, I'll, I, have a gym, I go to a gym nearby there, and I'll stop at, like, you know, there's probably, f probably three or four poke places now in Wynwood, so oh, I'll just stop and get some poke. Um, Warby Parker's there. Get my yeah, glasses no glasses. Um, 
definitely like excellent, some really nice menswear. Mm-hmm. Um, and the second Saturday of every month, they have the art walk still, right, I believe. Right. And they still have what I, you know, I mean, it's crazy to think that this would be considered old school Wynwood, <laughs> meaning like a decade ago. Right. But um, Gramps is still thriving. And that's a bar that I really like because it is a little scruffy. Right. It's down to earth. The, the, I mean, actually, it's funny. I've talked to Adam, the owner, about this. And, and bars are weird in Miami because there's not a lot of places where you can just go to a simple bar where you can get a beer and have a conversation. Mm-hmm. But Gramps, and having lived in New York, that's really important there. I mean, it's a night, you know, you kind of need that when you get it, when you leave the office and right. you don't want to go back to your little boxy apartment just yet. Right. So Gramps kind of, is in that direction, which I love. It's got this line of, you know, pretty ample-sized booths where you can put, you sit there with three or four of your friends and, mm-hmm. and shoot the breeze. Um, and the cocktails are not $10 a piece? <laughs> the, you know, it's pretty, it's, I, I, I mean, Miami is never really affordable, but it's definitely kind of, you feel like you're, you know, there's, you're, there's value there. Yeah. There's well, and I think kudos first, we have to acknowledge, of course, Tony Goldman, who sure. made all that possible in the area and just had that vision for what that could become. I mean, yeah, he's, you know, he he was a visionary in Soho in New York as well in terms of just mm-hmm. approaching a somewhat dilapidated area that had a lot of warehouse space. And what I found, I mean, I've written about Tony's efforts and he, his approach was to c- create what he called charisma in an area, and he did that with street art in in Wynwood, and that obviously like took off far beyond his efforts. Um, but it worked. I mean, you it, it's it was like this kind of smorgasbord of like visual stimulation as you walk through that neighborhood, even when it was you know Panther Coffee was like the only thing open, right? Um, and it just created a lot of traction. Uh, it's been, it's been an amazing transformation. Absolutely. And, you know, people complain about uh, oh the the price the price you know p- places are being priced out like gal I mean ga- some galleries have been priced out mm-hmm. and they've moved north to the Upper East Side several of them which again that's like a whole other story. Yeah. Um, well, and and before we get into Upper East Side, what, what's speaking of transformation? What do you think about what's happening in Design District? I mean, they've had a complete overhaul right you know what's funny is i used to live um a couple blocks north of there and for a long time there was just this amazing neighborhood with some ridiculously high-end retail and not a lot of humans (laughs) (laughs) it was just like almost like a film set for a while it was like wow this is this is where you shoot a film about fancy people um (laughs) but and but i have to say in the last year it's just it it turned a corner. I mean, it really is astounding when you just just stroll through there, and there's just a lot more people there. It's way more bustling and dynamic, and and um, just more energetic. I mean, it's right. it's you know, you build it, they will come, and it it actually it actually seems to be working. Yeah. Well, and uh, a couple months ago, Christina and I went to the food hall there, Saint Saint mm-hmm. Brock, Saint Roche. I don't know how mm-hmm. to pronounce it, but. That was great. I, mean, I feel like to have a really interesting retail and culinary mix in, in the district is fun to, to go there now, you know? Absolutely. I mean, there's enough little kind of cafes that you can kind of stroll into and get something quick. I mean, I, and obviously, and that food hall too is 
very kind of user friendly, easy walk in. Mm -hmm. And it had like music playing mm -hmm. outside, I think from the Stefan Kitchen, like live music. Yeah. It was just like a cool scene, you know. You know, or you can obviously go more high end on the cuisine as well with of course. at at, at Gen Michael's Genuine, which really is staple. An incredible uh, story in that it was so early on, like a pioneer mm -hmm. uh, location in the design district. It's got to be one of the longest running restaurants, probably like in, in that area. Yeah, and city. not only that, but Michael Schwartz um, was such a pioneer in the farm to table movement. Mm. You know, I mean, that, that really took root. I mean, you know, not that he's the sole pioneer, but that really took root at Michael's Genuine. And I think provided a model for other restaurateurs to emulate and, and kind of fulfill successfully at other places. Sure. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm very I'm happy in a sense. I'm relieved to see the design district um, really come into its own. I I was there was a time when I was a little worried about it, but I think it's great. I mean, I think it's it's really been a major shift in the last year. Absolutely. Yeah. So we're talking to Bill Kearney here, editor-in-chief of American Way Magazine. You're listening to the Miami Real Estate Podcast. So we're taking a deep dive, a look at Miami like a local and the beautiful and amazing culinary and, and retail and cocktail aspects of the city. So, Bill, we talked about the Wynwood Arts District. It's just north of downtown, a little west of, uh, of Biscayne Boulevard and Design District. Uh, a little bit farther to the north. You mentioned Upper East Side before, so tell me what's happening up there, and actually first, if you could put that in geographical context for those who maybe aren't familiar. Sure, so the Upper East Side is kind of loosely considered <clears throat> the area along and adjacent to Biscayne Boulevard, so running straight north along the bay, mm -hmm. on the mainland side of the bay, so north of downtown and north of the design district. As you drive up Biscayne Boulevard, you're entering into the 50s and the 60s, 70s, 80s, up, I'd say up to 79th Street, you'd mm -hmm. consider that the Upper East Side. Mm -hmm. And then I, I actually just moved to Shorecrest, just north of 79th, in the same kind of corridor. So it does feel connected in mm -hmm. terms of things changing. Um, so, and within that swath, you have areas like Little Haiti. Okay. You have um, Lemon City. You have um, Little River. So... It's very hard to actually define the boundaries of these things sometimes, right. and people will debate you about it. But in, I, the larger area to me is like the Upper East Side sure. with these kind of little smaller pockets. And what are your favorite aspects or, or go-to spots there? So I love some of the early entries into the Biscayne Boulevard um, redemption. Um, Blue Collar is okay. such a great little restaurant. Um, that is on Biscayne and 68th, I think it is. Okay. Tiny little restaurant, um, passionately run with really good value. Like you get a you get a um, you know uh, yellowtail snapper entree there for like very very reasonably priced. Excellent. Is Blue Excellent Collar food. by Chris Wessel or no? Blue Collar is by the same chef that does Mignonette. Okay. Uh, Daniel Surfer. Okay. So Dan and so it's funny Daniel and. Um, Daniel partnered with his buddy um, to open Mignonette, which is down in just south of, of Wynwood, mm -hmm. in Edgewater, I guess you would call it. So I love, I love Blue Collar, um, and I also really like Anderson Bar, mm -hmm. partially because I can walk there from my house. Right. I mean, it means I can walk home. I don't have to worry. <laughs> it's convenient. <laughs> it's convenient. 
But it's also just got this real, it has a lot of fun with 80s nostalgia. Uh All the drink names are kind of goofy, slightly naughty, um, you know, 80s nostalgia. The music is great. The crowd's, it's like a young, professional, and creative crowd that's not trying to take their weekend too seriously. Sure. Which is nice. It's like a super relaxed so if we want to find you on the weekend, that's where to look. Anderson Bar is a good place to find me on the weekend. I mean, I also, there's, you know, and also Panther Coffee has expanded from Wynwood and opened up two places on the Upper East Side. One is on Biscayne and 64th. It's like a tiny little, <clears throat> tiny little coffee shop. And mm-hmm. then on, on Northwest 2nd Avenue in, in the 50s, they have a larger operation, which functions as a coffee shop, but also as their, like a large roasting facility. Oh, interesting. So, you know, Panther has really made a name for themselves by doing their own roasting in a very kind of much more just, I mean, that's part of what the coffee movement is all about is how each roaster interprets the bean and when, when you know, when to crack that bean in the arc of the roast mm-hmm. so you know panther has their own way of doing that their own style and and people seem to love it so um but i think that that kind of speaks to a larger trend in miami of that more artisanal specific way of doing business which is which is i mean which it's I, evolving it's, it's totally evolving i mean it's not mass market it's not corporate it's you know i'm it's just a more pleasant <laughs> way to do business, I think. Absolutely. So I really enjoy Panther. Um, I think Average Jane's doing some interesting things up there in, in that area as well. Sure. She's got the Vagabond Hotel, which has been a real hit. I mean, that place languished. So part of the story of the Upper East Side is that people, people have been saying it's going to blow up. It's going to blow up for like 15 years. And it's had its little starts and stops and starts and stops. And I think... Again, like kind of like the design district, it's finally kind of got its foot in the ground and is really striding forward. And Avra definitely was a big part of that in terms of the Vagabond Hotel is a super um, handsome, Mimo, uh, like little roadside hotel that in the 50s and 60s would see kind of rat pack guys come in there for drinks at night. And it was like the heyday of that strip in the 50s and 60s. Um, You know, it was part of that heyday. And then, you know, in the 70s, Biscayne Boulevard really went downhill. Mm -hmm. But Avra, you know, I don't know when she bought that property, but she's she's just made it really hip. It has an excellent, really fun, um, like, Sunday afternoon pool party. Mm-hmm. The rooms are super cute. Like each room is painted differently. The very kind of nice. I would say more like mid-century modern but whimsical decor. Mm-hmm. It has a lot of appeal. It has a lot like if you're coming to Miami and you don't necessarily want to be in the kind of the melee of South Beach, it's mm-hmm. a really nice alternative, a nice place to stay. And I think that affects the overall kind of ambiance of the neighborhood up there too. Mm-hmm. Because you've got adjacent properties that are, are kind of upping their game. And Avra's working on, I don't know the full scope of other properties she's working on on the Biscayne Boulevard, but she's, I think there's probably three or four other similar properties that she's revamping. So, sure. so take us over to the beach across the bridge. What, what's worth checking out? So one of the interesting things about South Beach is that, yes, there was the kind of the South Beach proper, which is famous and well-known, and but there's also these little pockets that have been developing nicely in the last five years, particularly 
South of Fifth, otherwise known as Sophie, mm-hmm. and um, <clears throat> Sunset Harbor and, and Mid Beach. So in Sophie, there's been this kind of spate of really beautiful condos going up, and kind of in response to that, there's been some nice retail and restaurants come in. Um, in particular, one restaurant I really love is called Upland. Right. Um, beautiful place, very, um, I guess I would call it a new American cuisine with sure. an emphasis on rustic. Um, Excellent food, and then uh, there's also a new bar called Scapegoat, which which I like. I mean, previously called the Room, which was one of my major hangouts back in the day. Um, now it's called now it's right. called Scapegoat, and again, it's like this tiny little shadowy den, which is as opposed to a massive club. So it's right. nice. It's just nice to get that contrast. And then you've got Sunset Harbor, which you know that neighborhood changed profoundly with with the building of a parking garage that also had so it was a pain in the butt to go over there and park like if you wanted when you wanted to go over there and and eat or whatever it was always kind of annoying but in 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 building this this really functional garage they also built some phenomenal retail space so It's, and it's also and, and the parking in the garage is very cheap, so you kind of feel like you're getting away with something when you park there. It's like just <laughs> psychologically, it's like yeah, I go park really cheaply over and here. Sunset Harbor is where the Pub Belly guys originally started. That's right? where Pub Belly started. Love that. Uh, so it's it's essentially this little alcove, this kind of on not alcove, like an enclave. You have to go over a canal to get there. Mm-hmm. Um, from from South Beach, so it feels a little bit separate, but you've got some really um, nice retail there, like this sh- little shop called Frankie, which has some excellent um, kind of chic uh, women's wear and restaurants like Nayara, mm-hmm. which is a really fun um, Thai Thai restaurant with chef, uh, the chef who's like, you know, he's very gregarious, checks out the tables, food's excellent. Um, and Lucali Pizza, which actually came down from, from Brooklyn. So... It's nice when we, you know, restaurants from New York feel like Miami is a good investment. Sure. Well, and I think we were talking off off camera that I think uh, I read recently Miami is ranked one of the top five foodie cities uh, in America. And so it's sort of fittingly with this advent of new, new chefs and transplants and new concepts. Right. No, I mean, and then kind of along those lines, if you want to jump to Mid Beach, which again, ten years ago, even five years ago, was kind of this forgotten mm-hmm. area, say north of Twenty Third Street. Now you've got Faina in there. Um, you got Soho Beach House a little further north, but mm-hmm. Faina has profoundly kind of impacted that little strip. With first of all, it's a huge property, absolutely super high end. I went to their residential show the other night. It was actually <clears throat> oh, yeah. really cool. Yeah, um, and then you have Francis Malman. Um, Opening a restaurant, opening up a restaurant in there. So he's, you know, his stuff is super high end, delicious, like Argentine, fire focused, um, you know, big pieces of, of uh, ribeye. So can't nice. go can't go wrong with that. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's just nice to see again. It's a diversification of of um, places to go. So and speaking of uh, the the chef, the Argentine transplant, I think in your July issue. You talked about, you spotlighted four uh, international chefs that have come here and, and just done amazing work. Who, who yeah, we thought them? it was interesting that, you know, South, first of all, South America is just this phenomenal <clears throat> place for cuisine. Mm-hmm. It's just in the last, say, 
20 years, I would say, it's seen a real uptick in just adventuresome and dynamic uh, cooking and, and, and chefs who are really taking it to the next level. So Miami has become a place where several of those chefs have actually opened up shop. After great success in South America, they've come here. So, I mean, we've, I've got the story here, but one of them um, is Juan Manuel Barrientos, and he, from Colombia, he opened El Cielo on the Miami River, mm -hmm. and it's a very um, theatrical um, kind of presentation, which with sculptural food, and you might have kind of a fog mist on the table as you receive your coffee, things like that. But it's also delicious. Um, <clears throat> another in Brickell, uh, Lamar by Gaston Ocurio. Of course. Phenomenal, phenomenal ceviche. That's and that story is interesting real. because, you know, I, I, I actually wrote that section of the story, and Peru um, was was not, you, 20 years ago in Peru, if you were going to a quote unquote fancy restaurant, it was always a French or an Italian restaurant. And there was mm -hmm. no sense of pride in Peruvian cuisine. And Gaston, as well as some of his, of his compatriots, received training in Europe and initially came back to Lima and were like, oh, we have to open our fancy French restaurant. And then eventually just jettisoned that whole concept and were like, screw it, we're gonna do Peruvian food the resources here are amazing. Mm -hmm. You've got the Pacific Ocean, you've got the Amazon, right. you've got the Andes, all these incredible flavors coming from these various ecosystems. So they really put an emphasis on Peruvian cuisine. I'm not going to say they reinvented it, but they cultivated it and pulled from this incredible country and these landscapes to create an incredible cuisine. So now we've got Lamar right. in, in Brickell. And, and thank, thank, thank God they did because we're all the beneficiaries oh, of absolutely. Love, love proving absolutely. cuisine. So we talked about Brickell. You mentioned Gaston and Curio. Let's bring it home to the mainland here where we are. Oh, sure. Brickell Avenue, Brickell <clears throat> downtown. What are uh, the, the, some of the key spots uh, to uh, live and dine? So I think, what, you know, Part of the real psychological shift in downtown is what has happened with the cultural elements. Of course. So you've got the Art Center, you've got PAM, which is an incredibly beautiful building mm -hmm. uh, designed by Her Herzog de Muron, and you have uh, the new Frost Science Museum, <clears throat> which is just, you know, a couple footsteps away from PAM. So right. within a 300-yard radius, you've got these three, and the Art Center, so you've got these three super important and powerful and enriching cultural institutions right in downtown. Right. So as you, you know, people who live in downtown can not only gaze upon them, they are beautiful, mm -hmm. but go there, you know, can literally walk out your front door and walk yeah. right to these institutions, which are, again, like changing what, I mean, the definition of Miami. Like we now have a serious and elaborate and fantastic science museum. Yeah, no, it's amazing. Which is something we've never, I mean, we have had a science museum for, for, for 50 years, but it was not nearly what it is today. Right. So that's been a, a major, um, I think that's, I mean, you look at it a couple of ways. Like it's a psychological shift, but it's also a branding shift for the city. I think so. Um, and with Basel, I mean, I think that culturally and in the arts world, we've really elevated uh, our stature here in the city. I totally agree. I mean, certainly Art Basel has changed the way people see Miami and the way Miami sees itself. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, it goes back to this, the idea of, <clears throat> you know, if you're a family and you're living here, 
you've got these elements to the area. Say you're gonna, you know, if you're gonna have kids, it's like now the place where you're raising your children has these cultural institutions, which, which I believe is a good thing, and it rubs off on people, and it just creates a different um, kind of mental. Absolutely. And recently there was a, a report in, in the Miami Herald, I think by the Downtown Development Authority, that more families than ever are moving to downtown and the cultural institutions and the lifestyle and the way of life is a big part of that, I think. That's really cool. I mean, I didn't know that. I mean, typically you think of neighbor, families moving to single family homes, but yeah, I mean, there's nothing to say. That a you, lot of strollers in downtown now. Right. That's cool. That's <laughs> We're cool. We're talking to Bill Kearney, editor-in-chief of American Way magazine. Bill, when you are not... Uh, enriching yourself culturally in the uh, arts and uh, museum uh, institutions in downtown. Where can you grab a bite to eat? I think Zuma kicked it off <clears throat> so many years ago. In oh, Zuma's fantastic. Um, in downtown, actually, I love to go to All Day Cafe, okay. which is right, it's on North Miami Avenue and 11th Street. Um, it's owned by the same gentleman who owns a bar called The Corner, mm -hmm. which is also an excellent bar. Um, you, I mean, the corner I will describe as kind of a shadowy, um, somewhat hipsterish bar. Okay. And I don't, it's not a derogatory term for me. <laughs> you love hipsters. <laughs> but, um, they have a fantastic jazz night on Tuesday nights, good happy hour. Um, again, it's also, it's like a small venue where you can kind of just, and sit outside and, and, and relax. And then all day it just has... Phenomenal coffee, great sandwiches, um, and very, you know, it's simple food, but done with, with, with um, excellent um, ingredients, so mm -hmm. it kind of pays off. Um, and then, you know, on the, on the higher end, like you mentioned, Zuma is fantastic. I actually have been doing some shopping in Brickell City Center. Uh-huh. Um, biggest uh, bought myself a bow tie <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, I've been to La Centrale quite a bit and that is that is really fun yeah and and I think mm -hmm. it, so going back to food halls I think that's one of the, the biggest trends we're seeing or future forecast yeah, right for sure I mean even in Brickell City Center you have two two Italian focused food mm -hmm. halls um, so La Centrale is um, you know, it functions as a market. I mean, you can literally go in there sure. and buy pasta to take home and get some charcuterie to take home, or you can sit down, sit down and eat your charcuterie plate right there, or order off of a, a, a restaurant menu. Right. I mean, it's really, and and I've found it to be excellent food. Absolutely, and then also in Brickell City Center, you have the Casa Tua Cucina, the other food sure. hall you mentioned. Sure. Yeah, I mean, you can walk out the door of that food hall into Saks Fifth Avenue, so it's kind of, it's kind of funny. <laughs> Steps away. But it's, yeah, I mean, Brickell City Center is a lot eas logistically easier than I thought it would be. Like, yeah. driving driving in, the parking's great. It's and like, I, it's less of a hassle than I thought. Yeah, and I, and I live in Brickell, so my favorite is to take the Metro Mover there, right. and it actually leaves you right in on the, the third floor. It's super convenient. It's great, yeah. Yeah, and so what What else in, uh, so Novikov just opened, right? That's in the... Uh, I haven't been there yet, but I've heard been phenomenal either, things about it. heard good things, and then uh, Komodo also. Sure. Brickle was pretty interesting. I think that's Dave Grubman. David, Dave, that's Bob. David Grubman's restaurant. So David is a nightlife kingpin and uh, has shifted some of his energy into become a becoming a restaurateur and mm -hmm. he's, he's doing it i mean i was there so they opened a little over a year ago but i was there i think last friday or the friday before and i was amazed at how just packed and still busy it was so i was happy happy to see that 
thriving um, in, in our backyard. And then speaking of nightlife kingpins, you have the guys from Bioli who opened Marion and the adjacent L2 Can. Marion's great. Yeah, it's it's really awesome. really great. And L2 Can um, <clears throat> is such a classy throwback. You right. know, it's I mean, it's this kind of dinner. I wouldn't call it dinner theater, but it's it's a show. I mean, it's right. a live dance and music show that um, people get dressed up. You yeah. know, it's not. Um, <laughs> it's it's. I think for. I mean, I think for a local, it's fantastic. But if you're if you're from Chicago or mm -hmm. Boston, like that is a spectacular. It's definitely a, a unique Miami experience that yeah. you have to sort of take in when you're here. Right. Right. And then you've got, you know, right down uh, Cayocho, you've got Ball and Chain. Right. So, and that's another area, like Little little Haiti has really, I'm sorry, Little Havana, little Havana. has really, um, again, like just new dynamic places opening up. It's fun to see. Absolutely. And so one of the other, I think, big shifts or items in the pipeline for the downtown mainland area we were talking about before was the, the Biscayne Line. Uh, sort of right. potentially <clears throat> or proposed Biscayne Line connecting via boardwalk, right, downtown up to the Edgewater? Yeah, I mean, in theory, it could go, it could actually connect from 36th Street all the way down to the Rickenbacker Causeway, Ooh, which is a massive amount of, of land. But I think to start off, the focus has been a lot on Edgewater, where, you know, Edgewater is this area in the 20s and 30s along the bay that has um, several condo towers have gone up there in yeah. the last five years. We're um, actually working on Elysee Miami there, okay. Biscayne Beach, one of the ones that just uh, launched and, yep. and Ari on the Bay. Definitely great views. So okay. as these as these developments come in, by law, they have to have a public space on the waterfront. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so the effort is to connect all of those uh, public spaces into a, a, a promenade that would run that would really connect Edgewater to downtown and all the cultural the culture and energy there, which of course is just like respiration of, yeah. of, of ideas and people and and economy as well. Right, the city is really coming into its own. It's evolving. It's, it's yeah. exciting. So there's you know there's some older properties that pre 1979 properties in Edgewater where that walkway would have to either go inland around those properties or a butt out into the bay, which um, has been kind of an arch architectural challenge that has been addressed by various students at UM. So it's it's an, it's really nice to bring in the um, the universities and and yeah. and kind of expand the community effort to make this happen. And it's not clear to me yet when it will it will fully happen, but it's certainly something that a lot of people care about. A lot of developers in that area care about right. and. I would I would love to see it happen. So in in the end, it would run. You'd be able to jog or ride your bike or walk your dog from 36th Street down to the Miami River, let's say. Yeah. Which would be I'd love to do that. Uh, as would I. So um, speaking of the future, tell me to to close it out, Bill. What are you most excited about uh, in, for in, for the years to come here in Miami? So I'm 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 excited about more projects like the Biscayne Line that take the water and make it part of everyone's life. Mm -hmm. Because you can live in, you know, Kendall, or you can live in Miami Shores, or, and not, never, unless you're going to the beach, you might never see the ocean. That's true. And it's a shame, because it's so beautiful. So I'm looking forward to more projects that take the community and connect the community to the Miami River or to the Bay. I mean, this, a similar, there are similar 
steps being taken along the Miami River to make that whole every waterfront area along the river accessible to the public and walkable to by the public. So you could walk from Zuma <clears throat> up the Miami River on the north side to Garcia's. Right. In, you know, as this develops. And I think that's the kind of community or urban planning that Miami has never really had. Right. I mean, we're a really young city. Little in 1906, there was like 100 people living in, like, <laughs> like off on the banks of the Miami River. And it's so in our explosion as a city, and particularly post-World War II, there wasn't a lot of urban planning. And I think we're playing catch up a little bit, but it's happening. I think there's a lot of people who care at this point about making Miami more livable, more resilient. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a whole other conversation in terms of, of, of climate change. But resiliency is completely possible. It's, right. again, we have to devote our, ourselves to it. And I think that is happening. So... The future is bright. Yeah, absolutely. So, Bill, thank you so much for coming in. I hope that you all took uh, some uh, notes, a lot of great places to check out when you are in the city, whether you're visiting or, or living here. I hope you'll come back again in the near future, Bill. And for those of you out there, pick up an American Way next time you're on a uh, flight and, and uh, take a read. Thanks for having me, man. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show, and we certainly enjoyed making it. We hope you will come back. We've got some more great content dedicated to informing, intriguing, and inspiring Miami real estate professionals. Where can you find us? We're on the podcast store, wherever podcasts are available. That's iTunes, of course. We're also on Podbean, Spotify, Audible, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Google Play. You can even ask Alexa about us. Go ahead and visit Cervera.com slash blog. That's where our newsroom is located. We've got some more great content there as well, market reports, and more. You can sign up for our newsletter there. Connect with us on social at CerveraRE or send us an email, Miami Real Estate Podcast at Cervera.com. We would love to hear from you. So from all of us here in Miami, where the future is always bright, until next time. <laughs>